0: Thank you, worship team. What great songs, what a great hope we have. Amen? Amen. This is the day, right? Between Friday and here, the saddest and gladdest days. Both of them. Well, praise the Lord. Today, Easter Sunday, I have a message, and my message is entitled Pearl a Great Price. So some of you might get an idea where I'm going to preach from, the Gospel of Matthew. There was a man uh, just a few years ago, not many, he's a Mississauga man born in the Philippines. When he was seven years old, he remembered seeing this prize pearl. And look at the size of the thing. It weighs 60 pounds, it's worth between 60 and 90 million dollars. Incredible. He inherited it. And so he is pretty happy about that. I'm going to fly up this week to northern Ontario, where there's diamonds and there's gold and there's silver and there's all kinds of things up there. Today we're going to talk about a gem called the pearl, and what the Bible says about the pearl, and what science says about the pearl, so that we may be blessed this special resurrection morning. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. Let's try that again. Christ is risen, amen. indeed, <laughs> amen. Well, let's look at this uh, passage of Scripture, it's two verses long, probably didn't hear an Easter message on the pearl of great price, but there it is. Actually, I'm going to get everybody to stand again. We're going to read this short parable of Jesus, and then we're going to stay standing and we're going to pray Paul's prayers in Ephesians. So let's first of all look at this and read it together. Let's read it together. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and he bought it. And now let's make this our prayer as we look at Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. We Let's do it together, sorry. We keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the glorious Father may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we know Him better. We pray also that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, that we may know the hope to which He has called us, the riches of His inheritance in the saints. And finally, and we pray that being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all the saints To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You know, Paul prayed for the people that were part of the Ephesian church, the Christians. That God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Show them something they didn't really understand or know at that time. Then he prayed that their hearts would be enlightened. And that's our prayer today that we would understand the hope that God has called us to. But, did you get this? His glorious inheritance in us. What are you talking about? Our inheritance is in Him, and we're going to inherit all the glory. He said, I pray that this morning, you will understand Christ's glorious inheritance in you and in me. And then, of course, he prayed that we would just be able to grasp how wide and long and high and deep That love is that God has for us. And so, so be it. And everyone said, Amen. You may be seated. Matthew chapter 13 is a chapter that starts off on the seashore of Galilee. And Jesus is teaching, parables. The crowds are there and the disciples. And as he's teaching from the boat, in that hot Galilean sun, I'm assuming, He teaches from the boat and he teaches them four parables, the parable of the sower and the seed, the wheat and the tares, the parable of the leaven, and the parable of the mustard seed. And those are for the crowds. He gives us the interpretation of the first two. Indoors, he tells the disciples, says, let's go inside, boys. I have some club secrets. So this morning we're going to learn about some club secrets for our ears only, only because... When you're enlightened by the Holy Spirit, that means he's going to let us in on some wonderful things. And he goes indoors and he tells them some parables. The fifth parable, he talks about a hidden treasure that's in a field, and this person buys the field so that he can get the treasure. And then he comes to the pearl, and he says that there's this pearl of great price. And this man, this merchant, finds this pearl, and what he does is, is he says it's worth selling everything out to get this pearl because it's of such value. Now, when it comes to parables, you know, parables are like sunglasses. That light's pretty bright right there. I should wear these every day. I preach up here. (laughs) Now I can see better. (laughs) But anyway, sunglasses. Parables are like sunglasses. The truth that God wants to Jesus wanted to share with his disciples was so brilliant that he dressed it up in stories that we would understand and be able to identify with so that we would get the glorious, we'd be able to see the light because otherwise the truth is so bright, I don't know if we could handle it. So he gave us these parables. So in this little parable of this pearl of great price, we're a little bit disadvantaged. Why are we disadvantaged? Because he didn't tell us exactly how to interpret it. So we have to kind of figure it out ourselves. On a casual reading for many years, I read this and I assumed that he's the pearl. And that I'm the one who found him and I'll sell out everything just to have Jesus. Amen. And that's a great way of looking at salvation. And Jesus this morning, and don't get me wrong, I believe he is a pearl of great price. He is the pearl of pearls. He's the diamond of diamonds, right? Amen. He's everything. He is the top notch. And Jesus did tell the rich young ruler, nobody else, to do this. Sell everything you have and then you can have salvation. Follow me. And we have songwriters that haven't helped us out a whole lot, I don't think by singing, writing songs for us, saying he is the pearl of greatest price. And I think he is a pearl of greatest price, but I don't think he's the pearl that we're talking about here. It's my understanding that the pearl isn't Jesus or the Savior. The pearl is us. And the merchant who sold everything out, sold all, to purchase the pearl was Jesus Christ. Now, I don't expect you to agree with me right away. Because when somebody throws something out that's opposite to what you've always believed, you get your back up. So I'm not asking you to agree with me. I'm just asking you to think with me, okay? Think with me this morning as we look through this. I believe that the merchant or the man in this parable is Jesus Christ. And the pearl is the church. Why? Well, first of all, if I believe that I can buy salvation, then it's out of harmony with everything I know in the Gospels. I cannot purchase Salvation, Jesus paid it all. Amen? It says in First Peter chapter 1, verse 18, For it was not with perishable things, such as silver and gold, that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, handed down to you from your forefathers, but you and I were purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. First Corinthians 6.20 says, You and I were bought with a price. Oh, what a price Christ paid for us. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it reinforces this. For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he became poor, sold out everything, so that we, through that poverty, might be rich. Amen? Beautiful passage. The emphasis in this parable is really upon the pearl, I believe. But for a moment, this morning, we're going to also look at the merchant, the one purchasing it, And then we'll look at the pearl. But we need to get some things out of the way, first of all, about this idea of the pearl. First of all, the pearl was not anything that was precious to Hebrew people. When you take the Bible and you read it, they had Genesis to Malachi. You'll find one place where it's translated pearl. And it's in the book of Job and it's referring to something that's of something frozen. So we know it's not a pearl. Just translated that way. So it's not in the Old Testament. It's something foreign as far as the Jewish people goes. So it's not precious to them. When you come to the New Testament, pearls mentioned in five places. Here, Jesus also said, don't throw your pearls before the swine. And Paul said, ladies, you can dress up with pearls and look pretty, but don't let the pearls be what really makes you beautiful. Let the inner life of the Holy Spirit living through you. So that's the third place. And in Revelation, twice it mentions the pearl in the the ships that are coming from, in Revelation 18, the precious cargo of earthly merchants. And then, of course, the last one is, second last chapter, the gates of pearl, which is so symbolic, and we'll figure that out as we go along. Pearls are gems, they did not make up the twelve precious stones, as we see on the the, the breastplate of the high priest, it was not one of them. you know. Not, it wasn't turquoise, emerald, sapphire, beryl, topaz, ruby, jasper, amethyst, and all of those others. It wasn't used in the currency for the Jews. It wasn't something they considered valuable. The pearl was strictly something that was precious to Gentiles. So here are the disciples. Let me, boys, I'll, let me tell you some secrets. The kingdom of heaven is going to be like A great pearl that's worth buying. You can imagine they're scratching their heads saying, a pearl? The Gentiles think pearls are valuable, not us. And so you can imagine with the look on their faces. So Jesus took an emblem that was a most precious thing, but it's most precious and valuable to Gentiles. Something completely outside of Hebrew concepts of value. Secondly, the pearl is different than any other gem. It's a product of a living organism. And living organism, the oyster. So, the pearl is also a result that is that is done. Pardon me. It's the result of injury that's done to that little little oyster. It's done. This little this little grain of sand, as the oyster opens its mouth, gets inside the oyster. And if you and I get a little grain of sand in our eye, you know what we have to do. We, if we can't get it out by washing it out and pull, trying to rub it out, we need to go to the doctor who will get rid of it. And if we leave it in there and keep rubbing it, it could cause blindness. Well, the poor oyster doesn't have any arms, doesn't have a doctor to go to, so it has its own situation, its own remedy for this. And so what it does is it takes that foreign object, that thing that hurts it right now, and it starts to secrete this, this special fluid on it, calcium carbonate, I think it's called. And calcium carbonate just continually, layer after layer after layer around this little piece of dirt. till finally, it starts to take shape, and most of the time it's a nice little round pearl. Not like the one we saw in that first slide. So the, number four, the pearl is produced by this injured oyster, as I've already explained, and transformed into a lovely pearl. Fifthly, the significance of the pearl is symbolic. The word that's translated pearl here is the Greek word "magarite," which means pure. So the pearl is the answer of the injured life to the thing that injured it. That which was impure, which was foreign, which was harmful, has been transformed into something glorious and beautiful. A symbol of purity and innocence. How? By the very life that injured it. Get in the picture here. (laughs) Isaiah says in chapter 1, verse 18, Come, let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. We shall be white as snow. We shall be pure. Well, the merchant in this little parable is said to be seeking pearls. It's impossible to think that a merchant who's seeking pearls is just going to keep it for himself. He's a merchant. He wants to get this pearl of great value and sell it, obviously, to do something with it. So when he sees this pearl of great price, he says, if I can get my hands on this, as though it costs me everything, I'm going to get my hands on it, and I'm going to take it or get it so that I can then bring it. Who did they bring it to? It was the Persians that first placed the value on the pearl. And so those in Iran and Iraq, you know, in Iraq it would be the president. In Iran today it would be the supreme leader or also called the president. If you found a pearl a great price back in those days, even into the 20th century, it had to make its way to the leader of Persia or Iran and Iraq. It just had to because that was... That was necessary that that would take place. Because only a king could possibly be adorned with this beautiful pearl. So what's the meaning of this parable? I believe Jesus is touching a mystery that's so deep. Even deeper than we perhaps have already thought of today. He was speaking of things that only later, after he died on the cross, rose from the dead. And the Holy Spirit came and enlightened Paul, the apostle, that he would begin to grasp and the other gospel writers as well. The Holy Spirit would reveal in the ages and the years to come the mysteries of the kingdom to Paul, the apostle, and others. Dwight Pentecost, that's quite a name for a Baptist, isn't it? Dwight Pentecost said, In this parable, Jesus teaches that the kingdom in the kingdom age is going to be gathered out and presented to God the finest and most resplendent jewel that will ever adorn him for all the eternities. This pearl is of such value that the pearl that this merchant purchased must find its way to the master of the universe. This pearl is so valuable. It says in 1 Corinthians 15, speaking of the future, the end is going to come when Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed all dominion and power and authority. He's going to hand over. Who's he going to hand over? He's going to hand over the church of the living God to him, the God, the Father, as the prize. The parable, as G.M. Morgan said, records the estimate that's placed upon the pearl in the sight of heaven. Having gone away, we sung about it. He sold everything he had and he bought it. You see, this is the picture of the one who sees the pearl a great price. He surrenders his place. He surrenders his possessions and everything so that he can purchase the pearl and take it back to him to the place that he left in order to purchase it. Hallelujah. Jesus came to earth to die for you, for me, for anyone who had come to him. To him, it was worth it. ephesians tells us a little bit more i love ephesians it kind of goes with this chapter 2 now in jesus christ you who were once far far away have been brought near through the blood of christ consequently you're no longer strangers foreigners aliens but fellow citizens with god's people and members of god's household so we came to jesus christ worth less I could not come up with the money to pay for my salvation, not even for a single drop of blood. It was my approach, my sins, that wounded Christ, that injured Him. So the pearl is the result of a hurtful thing being transformed into a thing of beauty and innocence and by the communication of the life that it hurt. Wow. My sins... I'm just a piece of dirt. I caused an irritation. My sins put Jesus on the cross. And what did he turn around and do? He communicated to me new life, beauty, innocence. And the half has not been yet told nor known. But may God give us a spirit of revelation today to understand the heart of God and the reason that Jesus came to die and that he rose again. So the church consists of those who wounded him. We all did it. Yet our wounding has resulted in being communicated to you and us, us today, me and me. His virtue, his grace, his glory, his beauty, his very life is in us. Hallelujah. You are in Christ. Your life is hidden with God in Christ. It's amazing to be in Christ. <laughs> He came to his own people, the Jewish people. They didn't receive him. His bed was straw and some cattle shelter. His pillow was a stone. He was severely tempted by Satan, directly in the desert, indirectly through those who were close to him. He was hounded by religious leaders all of his days who tried to have him arrested and killed, yet he wept over Jerusalem. He suffered an anguish in the Garden of Gethsemane. I was listening to Dr. Victor Shepard this morning as I was coming here. And he was talking about the Gethsemane. And he was talking about Jesus falling down. And he says he wasn't just falling down once and kneeling. He was stumbling. He was staggering. Victor Shepard said he was staggering like the town drunk. Why? Why? Because of the load that was upon him. He knew that he was going to take upon the sins of the whole world. He knew that there was going to come a time when the father would have to turn his face from him. In the garden of Gethsemane it talks about sweating drops of blood. Blood came out of his pores. Not liquid water like you and I or normal sweat. What happened to him is an extraordinary occurrence. It does happen and has happened. Rarely in history hemoditrosis is this rare occasion when the person who's suffering extreme levels of stress actually sweats blood through the pores on their skin. Subcutaneous capillaries dilate dilate, I should say, to such an extent that they burst. That's why Jesus said, If this cup pass from me, if it could pass from me, what cup was he talking about? Was it the night of betrayal? when Judas arrived with those who came to arrest him? Was it the flashes of torches, the indictment before the high priests? Was it the hours of waiting and tension and beating? Was it the mock trial through the night until he appeared before the high priest and counselors in the morning? Was it the strange and private interview with Herod? Was it the rough handling of Herod's soldiers? Was it the awful scenes where Pilate tries to free him? Was it the scourging that he received that nine out of ten criminals never survived? Was it the cat of nine tails where the victim would face the accuser or the, t- or the beater and he would take that cat of nine tails which would go over the shoulder, hit the skin, made it a glass and bone, take a hold of the skin and rip it forward? Was that what it was? Was it the crown of thorns? Was it the face so disfigured and spit upon was it the fact that his head, was beaten by, uh, his head was beaten by rods? Isaiah said prophetically, those that were around said, he's been spitten by God. He must be an evil person. Otherwise, no one would have to go through this kind of torment. Was it his feet and his wrists that were nailed to the rough cross? Was it the dehydration after 18 hours without any drink? Was it the loss of blood naked on the cross? Every sunbeam like a leech sucking for more moisture. The loss of liquid produced a fever. Was it that? Was it the inflammation of his hands and his feet? and The fever that was produced by even that? Was it the fact that his eyeballs would have been burning in the sockets? Was it his head that was aching with excruciating pain? Was it the fact that his mouth was like cotton and his tongue was swollen? Jesus did that for us. Hallelujah. He paid the price. And all I did to earn it was to wound him. To come to him, my sins, he, he took upon himself on the cross. You know, Martin Luther sat motionless, they say, for a long time, hours. He sat motionless as he looked at the crucif- picture of the tr- crucified on the cross. As if he was in some kind of a trance. He denied himself of food. He denied himself of drink. He was absorbed in deep contemplation until finally Martin Luther stood to his feet and exclaimed God forsaken by God who can understand it when Jesus was on the cross and he said my God my God why have you forsaken me what he experienced at that moment was the lack of the presence of God something he had never experienced before none of us here know what it is like to have a lack of the presence of God. The Holy Spirit is here. He is in all the world. Every living person does not know what Jesus went through to have a sense of the lack of the presence of God. But for that moment, in order to pay the full price for our sins, God turned his face from Jesus, and there was no presence. Jesus hung on the tree, the Father's smile hidden, the Father's favor withdrawn, the Father's presence not known. A little girl listened to a Good Friday sermon on the crucifixion one time, and after she left church, she said, Mommy, I love Jesus, but I don't like God. <laughs> His agonized cry was because of sin, sorrow, and the silence. The silence. The bottom line is, as I said, Good Friday, God would rather go to hell for me. And go to heaven without me and you. This pearl, the church, is now. Get ready for this. The chief means and medium, the way God is going to, to manifest his grace and his glory and his love for all the ages to come. This is the church age. Out of this church age, God is gathering his church. And we are going to be on display for all eternity. When someone in the future ages that we know, not, we know nothing about just says to one of the others, well, explain to me the grace of God, they will point to the church. The parable is silent about this, but Ephesians again helps us. It says in chapter 3, This grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the hidden administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, and who created all things. Look, Look at these next two verses. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to who? The rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. According to his eternal purpose, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The church is going to be the means through which the unborn ages, the future ages, will know the grace and the love of God. Sit up straight in your chair, folks. We need to stand at attention almost. Look at this calling that we have. We who were worthless are not only being made worthy through the blood of Jesus Christ, but we are going to be on display for all eternity. And Jesus sold out everything just so that we could be that church, rescued from the deep darkness. The instrument through which the angels, the principalities, the unfallen intelligences of other worlds. Are there other worlds? Well, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, this is a vast universe. that has no end. We don't know what's out there. But one thing we do know that this is the focus right now and that on this planet called earth where God created man and woman in this place, they turned their back on him and God the son gave his life so that we could come back and be in fellowship with him. Hallelujah. The church redeemed, purchased, purified, glorified is the instrument that God is going to use forever and ever. The pearl of great price is found in the midst of human wreckage, is gathered out of that wreckage, is exalted and made the medium or the means through which in the coming ages the infinite truth of God's grace and God's wisdom is going to be revealed. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote a poem once, and it was called Seraphim, Angels. She described the angels watching the processes, as the Son of God disrobed, came to earth as a little baby, became a human, and watched the processes of Jesus' journey on earth. They watched in wonder as they saw the Lord stoop to the dark places of the earth, and with bated breath they watched as he suffered, until the meaning finally dawns on one of the angels of Seraphim. And they said, when Jesus rose from the dead, they said, from this point on, this is going to be the song of the blood-bought captives of mankind. And the other angel turned to that angel and said, these words in the poem, and we can only extend our holy, empty hands toward his throne saying, we don't have, We have no music. An angel cannot sing amazing grace. We can sing it, can't we? Last Sunday, we had this vision of heaven. And myriads and myriads of angels filling the universe, worshiping the lamb who had been slain. Worshiping him. But our song is highest in all eternity. Because Jesus He died for us, didn't he? He died for me. He died for you. By comparison, no angel can sing, he loved me and gave himself for me. When all the hymns and the anthems of earth have ceased, ours is going to be the highest, highest of all the songs for all eternity. So today, Jesus is building his church. God saw the pearl church when it was just a possibility useless far off in the deep dense darkness jesus came and gathered that offending thing to himself his own life he it wounded him he it harmed him it killed him but jesus found the pearl of greatest price i did not find the pearl <laughs> the pearl i did not purchase the pearl The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the Son of God came to earth, gave everything up so that he could purchase you and me today. Hallelujah. So he says, will you understand? Paul said, will we understand? God, give us an understanding of his glorious inheritance in us. His inheritance in us. And so as the worship team comes today, Reminded of the words of Jude, the second last book in the Bible, the earthly brother of Jesus, who later it dawned on him, Jesus is just not my brother, (laughs) he's my Lord. This great, tremendous benediction. Listen to Jude, think of him as the brother of Christ, who lived with him and all of that. Come into that full realization that this brother is also the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He says, to him who is able to keep us from falling and stumbling, to present us before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. Hallelujah. Imagine that. We are going to be presented to God the Father without fault. The pearl. To the only God, our Savior. Majesty and power and authority through Jesus Christ before all ages and forevermore. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Let's stand together as we just read a couple more scriptures where the worship team comes. He's going to present me and you one day. This is a matchless wonder. Hallelujah. He's going to present us faultless before his throne. The church of the living God is the pearl. The merchant saw. And our hearts can rest assured that though the kingdom ideal is not what it should be, one day he's going to change all that in the moment when is it going to happen in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet the dead is, are going to rise incorruptible imperishable and we shall be changed in this corruption for corruptible will put on incorruption this mortal shall put on immortality and then it shall be said oh death where is that sting it's no longer there grave there's no victory hallelujah hallelujah for some day soon soon and very soon the lord shall descend you will come back. gonna gather the pearl with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet call of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. And if we're still around living on earth, we who are alive will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. On display. His glorious inheritance is us somehow. I don't deserve it. And to summarize this most succinctly, Paul says in Philippians, these words, Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not consider being equal with God a thing to hold on to. So he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has exalted him, amen, has bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Let's worship him today. Let's lift our voices together, hallelujah. Let's take a moment and thank God for this great salvation, hallelujah. Let's worship the King of Kings, the Son of God, hallelujah, who's coming soon to this world. To change this world. Hallelujah. The one who took us when we were in sin and transformed us. The half has not been seen and the half has not been told. but all oh, we have a glorious future. Hallelujah. And we worship the Lord today on this Easter Sunday. He has risen from the dead. He is Lord. Hallelujah. Every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess one day that Jesus Christ is the Lord. Hallelujah. And we worship you today. And so we pray for those that might be here who have not received Christ today. Make it your day. Ask Christ to come into your life. Ask him to forgive you for your sins. Father, seal your word in our hearts today. Thank you for the revelation. Thank you for enlightening our eyes. Thank you for having a, giving us another view of what Christ has done for us and what we are in him. Hallelujah. Bless your word to our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name.